do I choose between housing or do I choose between a better opportunity to elevate? And I chose the job. And I remember the day I walked into the housing office and I said, I no longer need your assistance. And she looked at me and she, she said, are you sure? And I said, absolutely. She goes, do you know what you're doing? I said, I absolutely know what I'm doing. I'm stepping outside of the box. That's I so have an cool. opportunity that I'm not going to turn down just to stay at a certain level. I need to go. Like, I got so many things that I need to do, and this is going to get me there. Wow. And I said, there's someone else that needs this more than I need it now. And I'm not going to stay on it just because it's there and available to me. That is so selfless. Oh my and, God, I, and I shut it off. And my mom was freaking out. <laughs> what are you doing? Why would you do that? That's stability. Like, like you, you just snatched the rug out from under yourself. You know, she just, she went into full on scarcity mindset, right? Like, yeah no, you can't do this. And I'm like, but I can, because I believe in myself because I had been putting in the work. I had been going to the urban league. I had been getting skills. I had been learning how to interview. My jobs were leveling up. My presentation of myself was leveling up. I was starting to go to college. Like I was continuing to level up, not only in my mindset, but in my education, just everything about me. And I just, Kept going and kept going and kept going. Let's go, LT. I'm <laughs> okay, welcome to another episode of Affordable Housing and Real Estate Investing. Today, I got my friend, one of the biggest go-givers in the sub-2 real estate community, LT Ibear. And today's, today's episode is going to be really special, guys, because I think in a lot of the past episodes, we talked a lot about the numbers you, you get from real estate investing, how much money you can make. But what I really think about and what's most important is telling the stories of the people that affordable housing is really intended to help. And there's nobody better than me welcoming Elsie to the show today to talk about her experience. It's going to be a little different today. We're not going to talk about real estate investing. We just want to focus on her story and what affordable housing really meant. So Elsie, welcome to the show. I'm so excited that you made the time to come on to the show today. I cannot thank you enough, but just... Tell us a little bit about yourself, LT, just to get things started. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Well, first and foremost, a great big thank you to you for even thinking to have me on your <laughs> podcast. Um, not going to lie. I'm a little nervous. First one. So just bear with me. But um, yeah, just again, grateful to be here and anything I can do to help you help the cause, whatever. I'm here. So um a little bit about me. I don't want to get into like, you know, the nitty gritty of it. Cause I think we're going to go there at some point. Oh yeah, for but sure. Just, you know, like high level. Yes, I did. I grew up in affordable housing. So, um, geez, uh, you know, I kind of had the best of both worlds. Um, was raised by my grandparents at times was in affordable housing at times. So I had middle-class over here, affordable housing on this side, and then, you know, as, as my life kind of started evolving, I ended up um, at an age myself when I could take care of myself, ended up on affordable housing. So that's kind of like the high level. I know we're going to go back and kind of start digging into the origins of that, but that's kind of a little bit about me. So um, I was a single parent and that's kind of how I ended up on affordable housing. And um, yeah, so, so let me know when you want to just dive in and and whatnot. Yeah. So let's do I mean, it. Let's, let's do this. Let's talk about, you know, sometimes I, I relate to people when we talk about we both coming from affordable housing and you, you know, you and I both have such amazing hearts. We just want to keep helping and we get our joy from helping others. And that probably stems from the hardships that we've gone through when we lived in affordable housing. Absolutely. So let's, let's maybe start from the beginning. Let's uh, let's talk about, you know, you were being raised by your grandparents. Were you in affordable housing already at that point in time? Like how did that relationship work? Like they just take you in, they, they took care of you. Just tell a little bit about your relationship with your grandparents. Yeah. So basically um, rest in peace, grandma and grandpa. Um, but um, so basically when I lived with my grandparents, that was the middle class side of things. That was like, you know, my grandfather was raised on a farm. 
um, in the Midwest. And then they moved. So I was raised in Oregon. I probably should have said that um, in Portland. And they moved from the Midwest to Oregon. He was a self-made mechanic. Um, you know, so they knew hard work, right? So that was kind of like their thing. And then hard work turned into them affording a middle class um, lifestyle. But my mom had me at a young age. And so that's why I ended up kind of living with my grandparents off and on because my mother um, had me when she was 20. And uh, my mom to me is a very free spirit. Um, she kind of lives on her own terms and, you know, just kind of like, I love everyone and I want to hang out and have fun. And she was young, right? I mean, I can't fault her for that. And so um, when she had me, I think having someone um, at 20 was kind of an adjustment for her. And she did her best, you know, to provide for me. And then um, she got married and my sister came along. And so it was me, my mom and my sister. And then some things happened to where my mom ended up divorcing and she needed to just raise my sister and I. And that's when we had our first encounter with like affordable housing and it's not necessarily just housing, you know, I mean, there were times where we were standing in the government line waiting for food. And when I say food, for those of you that know what I'm talking about, there's government cheese. Um, mm -hmm. You know, you get the cheese, the big block of cheese. And there was rice, there was cereal, there was peanut butter. Um, you know, so even us just getting the, our basic needs to make sure we had something to eat. I can't tell you how many times I think we, I ate chicken and rice like every night, or it was peanut butter and jelly, or it was a piece of bread with like cinnamon and sugar sprinkled on it. You know, there weren't like meals per se, where you, there was a lot of nutritious value. It was, we ate what we could afford and what my mom could afford at times. Um, and with that, we were also on government assistance. So we were on food stamps. So, I mean, I'm dating myself, but it went back to where food stamps weren't an, weren't an EBT card like they are today. They were paper. It was a booklet. It was about like this wide, that long. And you had like ones. I believe the ones were brown the fives were green and the twenties were purple or something, but they had different colors and it was paper and you would tear it out and then you would hand it to the clerk at the grocery store. And you want to talk about moments where you're absolutely embarrassed because you know that you're not like someone else that has green actual dollar bills, twenties, one hundreds, whatever. And they're looking at you as if you have something wrong with you. Right. So I had to deal with the stigma that was attached to someone mm -hmm. that was part of a system, basically, because that's what a lot of people refer to it as, growing up on affordable housing. But one thing I can say is, is if we didn't have that, if my mom didn't have that, I honestly don't know where we would have ended up. Um, she did remarry after that. And so um, my little brother came along mm -hmm. and we were still kind of on that cusp of making too much money, um, you know, to where if you make too much, you're off, right? And then now you're in a really unstable environment of do I feed my family or do we go homeless? Do we keep this and we stay within this box? Um, or it was, um, you know, we just stay under the minimum or the maximum so I can keep a roof over my children's heads um, and keep food on the table. But also, you know, not being able to afford a certain lifestyle, right? Because, you know, and I'm not saying that the system is also designed to keep you down. I don't want to say that. Um, because once we get into my story a little bit further, I'll kind of, you know, share some stuff with that. But you know, there's decisions that had to be to be made for the livelihood of my mom raising her three kids to decide what would be better for her. And LT, I can completely relate to you. My my parents told me those stories of they would get blocks of cheese and the Asian diet is like 
rice <laughs> for the most part. But she would tell me like, hey, I don't really know what to do with this big block of cheese. <laughs> and I was just like, it's funny when you think back about to it, but it's, it's, it's a little sad. And ultimately, I think you hit on a really great point there about decisions. Um, when you are kind of boxed in to something where you're like, do I try to make more money? But then I can't really make more money because then it instills this fear into you. Like, hey, do I make, do I take this leap now? Because I need to, you know, educate myself, make more money, make a higher salary. But then if I do this, there's no turning back because there's a chance I might exceed the income and then I might lose the home that I'm living in. And mm -hmm. then what am I going to do with my kids there? Yeah. That's almost an impossible decision for any yeah. parent to make. It's like, Absolutely. you have one, you and I are parents. We have one choice to keep our kids alive. It's like, if you go and do that, you're putting your kids at risk and you have to bet on yourself at that point. And that is so scary when you are coming from a pace, a place of scarcity. Um, mm -hmm. so I completely, completely resonate with that LT. And that must've been a, a really, really hard decision, a really, really hard time going through that. Do you remember anything about you know, the, the first, you said you lived in affordable housing with your mom at that point in time. Do you remember like, like how she felt when she got that affordable housing? Like what was the condition of that affordable housing? Yeah. Like, anything oh, about I'm, that you can tell us? I'm so glad you asked that because I was just thinking like, maybe I should also share the condition of the houses that we lived in. So, I mean, my mom was grateful. She was absolutely elated. And back then, dating myself again, but you know, back then that was, in the 80s. Okay, so um, in the yeah, it was the 80s. So back then, it was there wasn't there weren't a lot of long waiting lists like there are today. Like I talk to people today where it's they they've been waiting five years, right? Like they're just they're waiting. There's a oh, long yeah. wait list. Um, so back then, you know, but I was so young, maybe there was, I just know that she was grateful. She was very grateful. And, um, I can remember, oh my gosh, um, some of my greatest friendships and life lessons came from living in affordable housing. And when I say that just seeing, like, I just remembered we were happy. We were in a loving home. Um, you know, it's like, it's like any other family, like we loved each other. We played games with each other. You know, we're not weird. We weren't weird. We just had a different economic background than some others may have had. Um, I went to school with all the other kids. Um, my mom had, my mom had, um, my mom loved to be around people that were always doing more. So when we were in affordable housing, we lived in areas that weren't necessarily like, and believe me, I grew up in affordable housing. I don't want to label anything, but you know, there's A, B, and C class. And so I would say that um, there were some C-class neighborhoods that we lived in with affordable housing, but there were also B-class neighborhoods that we lived in with affordable housing. And um, one of those um, neighborhoods that was more B-class we lived in a, it was an apartment, but it was a nice apartment complex. Like you had mixed, like you had some people that were on affordable housing and some people that weren't, which was great. Right. Because yes. some of my friends, families, you know, like, um, their, their families had like everybody in there for the most part was hardworking. They were hardworking individuals, whether you were on the affordable housing side in that complex, or you were just on the working class side of it, we were all together. And there was no discrimination there based on, again, your economic status, mm -hmm. um, which was great, because as kids, we got to see, like how people can coexist without discriminating based on the economic circumstances, um, because we were people in that community, it was a rather large apartment complex. And so, I mean, I just remember we lived in a, a upstairs apartment in this one complex that we lived in. And um, I met one of my best friends. That's my best friend to this day. Um, she, we met when we were in fifth grade. So I was living in affordable housing Aww. in fifth grade. And she, to this day, is still my very best friend and lives in Oregon. Um, but the apartment was nice. I mean, but as a kid, what are my standards, right? 
But I'm saying we didn't have roaches. We didn't have mice. The ceilings weren't caving in. I mean, it was it was a really nice complex. There was a pool at the complex. I remember. Wow, that's great. Yeah. <laughs> like in the summers, we would go and hang out at the pool. Like, I mean, it was. It was a really good experience, but I've lived in some complexes where my mom's like, don't go outside after dark. Mm-hmm. And I didn't want to be outside after dark. And it was very like you had to have your situational awareness about you, yep. right? In your environment. But I mean, again, I was young, but to be able to still have a childhood and experience the love of my family and having a roof over my head and, and whatnot. It was, it was, it was nice. It was nice because remember I said, my grandparents were middle-class. Mm-hmm. So I, at times my mom couldn't kind of afford to keep up with us. And this is a very vulnerable moment for me. You know, there were times where she was struggling, you know, and my grandparents stepped in and said, Hey, like, she needs to go to school. She needs to get an education. So my grandparents would step in and, and I would go live with them for short periods of time while my mom was figuring out life. Again, she had three kids, I think by the time she was 32, 34, um, which was over a span, but she had her own life things that she was dealing with at the time. And so I think like seeing how affordable housing and being a part of that and seeing working class people together, um, you know, working hard and then going and living with my grandparents who are very hardworking, honest people is what really helped me become the person that I am today and to be passionate about affordable housing and to see how it changed my life. Um, I love that LT. And did, yeah. did your mom, you mentioned you lived in like some classy neighborhoods, right? Did your yeah. mom try to you know, when you guys were in those classy neighborhoods where she had to tell you, Hey, don't go out late after night. Was she all, did you notice whether she was always constantly looking for the next place to kind of move to? Like how did, did and were you like aware of that? Of yeah. That yeah. So, um, the classy neighborhood was literally the neighborhood before the class B neighborhood. So that's the level up, right? Got it. Yep. Where yep. she's like, I have two daughters. This isn't going to fly. Like with two little girls in, um, you know, a neighborhood where she doesn't feel safe, even for herself mm-hmm. as a woman and adult, she leveled up and we ended up moving to a class B neighborhood. And the reason I ask that question is because I want people to hear two things. One is, when you decide to invest as affordable housing investor, you really need to understand the mindset of, in this scenario, your tenants, but they're really your customers. And you have to understand how they're thinking about it, how they're trying to protect their children. And if you want to be in this business and have it be sustainable, you should be looking in areas where there are low crime or low to medium crime. There's, you can't really avoid crime everywhere. It can happen anywhere. But right. you should be looking for those areas that you know that someone like LT is going to have a great childhood growing up because their parents are going to want to keep them there for a very long time. So that's the first point I really want to make. And the second point I want to make is like, LT, you mentioned that you were in a community with all other like hardworking folks. And I think this is one of the things, maybe one of the ways we, we solve this problem is because uh, one example that I give is like I grew up in an apartment building where there's tons of tons of working class folks, right? But there wasn't anyone that was doing it on a whole nother level where I can say like, oh, here's all the doctors or here's all my multimillionaires. You, when you aren't exposed to that path, it's hard to see that there's another path when you're in that realm. And I think the only way we can solve this problem is by having a mix of like with people of different classes yeah. to show people like there's another path. I, I think w- there's more thought we can put into this process in terms of affordable housing that isn't just like hey let's put all the section eight people in here because you could you could create a poverty pit for lack of better words but if you have a if you have a mix of people that are working on different levels people get exposed to different folks who are having success in different areas so that kids can see oh maybe i can grow up to be this or this doctor or this lawyer whatever that career may be yeah and i think that's going to be really important Yes, you mind if please. I add to that? Okay, so um, LT is fully full transparent. Like, you get me, you get me. So 
if you want a reference point, now mind you, this was Oregon back in the 80s and 90s, but St. John's area back then, because there's been a lot of gentrification since I've, I've lived there. I live in Arizona now and I've been here 22 years, but St. John's was the class C, right? So if you want to go back and verify and check my story, go for it. Like St. John's was classy. It was, it was scary. Like just even being in that little city to me felt very dark. It was, it was just, it was just, it was just this kind of like feeling. And I'm very sensitive when it comes to stuff like that. Mm -hmm. Class B was Park Rose and Park Rose where I was living in Oregon at the time my one of my friend's mothers literally i would go outside the complex and walk to her house which was less than eighth of a mile if that her mother was a lawyer and her father was in corporate america like several of my friends that i grew up with their families owned businesses or were professional backgrounds with their careers working in corporate America. That was literally like within walking distance to the complex I grew up in. So I was exposed to those people. And I just remember walking to their houses being in awe, like, whoa, you know, and the conversations that they had were different than the conversations we were having at home. So I had that actual experience of working class together, right? Affordable housing and then people just living there. But then also just outside of that complex, a whole other world that was like afforded to me. Wow. That's, that's so cool. And I think this is like one of the supporting details of why this, this thought process might work. I don't know how to do this, to be honest with you. But I know it's one way we can approach it, and it's damn well sure testing it out. Uh, Absolutely, for lack of better words. Absolutely. So, um, LT, let's maybe transition this this conversation to like the next part. So you you spent some time now, met your best friend in fifth grade. I kid you not, LT. This is why we're the same person. I met my best friend in fifth grade. Like. <laughs> Same exact number. See, this is why I know you and I connect on a different level. It's like, what? Like, how is this possible? Um, but your next stint with affordable housing was probably when you became a mom then, I'm assuming, yes. right? Like, what, yep. what was going on and how, what was going through your head when you were like, okay. hey, I need to go apply for affordable housing. Yeah. Let's start with just what was going through your head and then maybe let's cover the process a little bit of whether or not that's okay. difficult. So another vulnerable, vulnerable moment. Um, as you and I had discussed before I got in here, I'm a very private person. Like not too many people know my story um, because I'm a very private person. Um, I keep my circle small. And so here we go. So um, I um, ended up, I had a child at 15. But again, remember, I said my grandparents were hardworking. And so I knew at that moment, in that moment, that I needed to do something better for my daughter. Meaning, okay, I'm 15, but now I need to think like an adult, right? Because when my mom was on affordable housing, I did a lot of the raising of my brother and sister. So I was already kind of in the parent role because I was always helping my mom because I was the oldest, right? My sister's six years younger than me. My little brother's 11 years younger than me. So I was at the age to be able to help my mom. So I kind of took on that role at 11 to becoming the parent all the time, right? Helping my mom, helping my mom. And then I ended up um, having a daughter of my own at 15. And it was high school doesn't work for me. Like, I need to get a job. I need to get skills. I now have my own family that I need to provide for, which was just me and her at the time, of course. Um, and so um, I got my GED. Got it. And being under 18, I couldn't get affordable housing. I couldn't move anywhere, right? Like, I was wow. underage. So I was living with my grandparents at the time. And kind of bouncing around from place to place. And then 
I had a scenario that had happened and I won't go into detail, but it produced an emergency situation for me and my daughter in terms of our livelihood. And so I'm like, I got to do something. So I talked to, um, I went down to social services or whatever, and I talked to someone to get on government assistance, which is back in the day, I don't know what they call it now, but it was welfare, um, to get some money coming in monthly um, and also to get medical for my daughter and I, because I had gone back to school. So I went back to school to get my GED. And then I enrolled in classes at the local community college because I'm like, I need skills like to get a job. I need skills. I had a job at McDonald's when I was 14. Right. So I had there was no problem with working, but it mm -hmm. was like, I know that I need if I'm going to provide for her, I need a better job. Like I need a job that's going to pay me some decent wages. So I went back to school um, for like, it was like six or eight months. I, I got um, like a certificate in WordPerfect. Okay. For those of you that don't know what WordPerfect is, now it's called Word today. Um, I didn't know what you're was, talking about. I my resume <laughs> was typed on a typewriter. So just saying. Um, but anyway, so... It's right when computers started becoming mainstream and people were learning computer skills. So they were transitioning from typewriters to computers. And so I ended up getting the skills that I needed. Woo, I could type 60 words per minute, right? Like, oh, ooh, you're guaranteed. Let's a job. go. Exactly. So I got the job and it was making enough for me to qualify for affordable housing. So because I had been in this emergency situation and I had just turned 18, they were like, we can get you somewhere. We can put you up. So, so LT, let me unpack that a little bit. So, yeah. so far up to this point, you had a kid at 15. Yeah. It sounded like there was no programs for you. Am I wrong? Am, am, am I making this up? It sounded like there was nothing for you. There wasn't anything for me as an individual because I was under 18. I had to be at that legal age to be able to go out there and do anything for myself. Because if I try to do anything, it, they were going off of my grandparents' um, income because I was living with them at wow, the time. Okay. And they don't have co-signers. You know what I mean? It wasn't, oh, yeah, your grandparents can co-sign. No, that's not happening. So I had to wait until I was 18 before I could take that next step to really start foraging my own path. Wow. That's almost scary though. Like just, yeah. just imagine if you know, you didn't have great grandparents and you were in a worse right. situation, what are people going to do? And I can't right. imagine like when you and I first talked about like doing workforce housing or affordable housing for social workers, what if there was no one there in that office, like taking you in and helping you out with that whole process, you would have been really lost. And I think that's one of the reasons why we're so passionate about this stuff. Absolutely. It's like, you gotta help the people that are helping people. There's no way these social workers to make that much money. And chances are, right. if they are, they're not making that much money where they can't live in a nice neighborhood or to LT's point earlier, they might just make over a certain income threshold and then they don't get qualified for affordable housing anymore. And right. that's a choice that no one should really have to make. I right. think it's, it's, it's really silly that it became like that, but all right, let's go back to affordable housing. So now you're 18. Yeah. How how was that process getting to affordable housing? Were you able to kind of get it a, right away? At, yeah. At that point so that's time? what I was right. going to say. It was actually again we're in the 90s, right? So mm -hmm. we I don't think we didn't have the crisis, or I wasn't aware of the crisis that we have today because today it's like it's ridiculous. Um. So yeah. So I go down and I meet with this, you know, with the person, explain my situation, whatever, and then we end up. Um, putting together a plan like, okay, this is your income. So we go over my income, we go over my assets, which at that point I have no assets. And I'm sorry, you know what I mean? Like even back then assets, what is that? Okay. So, right. So you don't know what you don't know. And we're going through all of that. And she said, okay, this is what your monthly voucher, because back then they called it a voucher. This is what your monthly voucher amount will be. So you need to find a place that is at X cap. So this is how much we'll put toward it. It can't go above this. So say, for instance, um, 
you can't go higher than, so they look at your income. So I couldn't find a place that was more than $700 a month. I'm making up numbers right now, by mm -hmm. the way. Mm -hmm. So I couldn't go over a place that was more than $700 a month. It couldn't be over a two bedroom because they were allotting a bedroom for myself and a bedroom for my daughter. And then they would pay 300, right? Toward it. So they're looking at my income and they're saying, okay, so let's see, 750 minus 300 leaves what, 450? Yep. So right. then they now say, okay, you're responsible for the $450 difference. I'm just giving hypothetical numbers. This mm -hmm. really isn't the math for it, um, but that's how it works, right? So then it was, okay, we're looking at what your income and expenses are, what we think they'll be. So this is your monthly that you have to pay every single month directly to the owner of the affordable housing unit. And then um, from there, you know, I would stay within those guidelines that were given to me. Because again, at one point I had to make the decision now to keep a roof over my head and my daughter's head. Yeah. Yeah. Crazy. Very, crazy. very crazy. I will say the unit that I lived in, I lived there for four or five years. Okay, great. Um, what, was it a decent home, decent neighborhood? Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah. So it was, to me, it was home, right? Um, it was clean. It didn't have roaches. Right. Again, it, you know, it was clean. We didn't have a washer and dryer in our unit, but we had one on site. Um, but it was ours. Like it was mine mm -hmm. and my daughter's and it was something I could be proud of because I had a job. Yes. And so I was, I had the help that I needed to be the head of the household and to be able to provide for my child. Like that was the most important thing for me as a parent was to be able to provide and keep a roof over her head, clothes on her back and food in her stomach. And it allowed me to do that. How did you feel the day when you found her? You got the, when you got that apartment. Oh my God. I was so excited. Like I was so excited. The best part is, is I had no furniture. I didn't have anything. <laughs> I went to a garage sale and bought my silverware just so we had silverware and plates. I went to a garage sale. Our TV stand was a raggedy dresser that we bought at the garage sale. My bed was on the floor. Like, but it was ours. It was oh, ours. For four years, that was ours. And you and must I have been worked. so relieved. Yeah. And, you know, and I worked and I worked and then I got a car. I paid $700 for a raggedy car. Um, it would backfire all the time, but it was ours. Like it was an orange Mustang. I called it the great pumpkin. <laughs> but, but the thing is, is that we wouldn't have had that if I didn't have this leg up. You know what I mean? Like, I didn't want to live with my grandparents forever. When I had my daughter at that point, it's like, you made an adult decision. Now you have to grow up and be an adult. Mm -hmm. And so providing for my family was now my duty and responsibility. And that's what I did. And I, and I, I can't harp on this enough, LT. I'm so glad you shared those stories and those emotions because this is why we're doing this podcast. This is not just about for people to come on and brag about numbers. Like you are a real person who affordable housing helped out and built that foundation and the amazing person that you are LT it's like that would have never been possible without affordable housing. And I just want people to understand how impactful this stuff is without affordable housing, without the stable home over LT's heads and her daughter's head. Like she would have never been able to become the amazing person that she is. And there's so many more people like her in the world. Like, please get involved in affordable housing. There's so many great people. Sometimes we get into the stigma LT where affordable housing is just those people. Drugs, right. guns, oh drama. God. It's not. It's no. not. It's just hardworking people like you, hardworking people like my parents. They just didn't know English. For my parents, they just didn't know English. But we are in a position as real estate investors to make kids not feel anything less than, not feel like their parents disadvantaged them because we can do so much more with the choices that we make and where we invest and how many people we can help. Absolutely. It's just so, so cool that we found this space 
And this is why I love doing this podcast with people like you is because we get to find like-minded people that are so uh, driven to help people <laughs> because you, you, you have grown up in this and you know exactly what this does for someone. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, really fast. Can you hear the landscapers? You know, it's Murphy's log. They decide to come the minute okay. I'm in the middle of a podcast. I barely okay. hear them. I barely okay, hear them. Because I can go out and them. tell them, uh, <laughs> can you work on the front yard? Um, okay. So, but I do, I also want to continue the story, right? Because there yes, is please. a point in time where I transition out of affordable housing. Yes. Let's go there. Okay. So as I mentioned, I was on affordable housing for four years, right? Um, and during that four years, I ended up walking in or actually, let me take that back. I had, remember I said, I went to school and I completed and got some office skills. So I got a job. I worked so fast and so efficiently. I worked myself out of the job. Um, but I didn't know any better because my grandfather's like, leave a place better than you found it. Right. Love it. It was a mess. So I'm like, okay, I'm going to go in here and I'm going to like kick butt and take names and whatever. Didn't realize, you know, that my work ethic actually was a little more than what they were expecting. Fine. Okay. So I went down to the local job, um, like unemployment office or wherever they post job boards. And I went down there and, and, um, they said, Hey, we have a job that might work for you because you can type. And so I'm like, okay, was in downtown Portland. And I go meet with this individual. And um, my name is Letitia. He was he was by by far he started setting the bar for my favorite bosses. I kid you not. Um, He used to call me Letish. We would get Haagen-Dazs ice cream every day. Um, He knew I was a single parent. And on the first day of work, I kid you not, like, I'm a very spiritual person and, and God, like I can look back in my life and see all the places where God showed up. And this was one of those moments where the trajectory of my life started changing and my mindset. So, um, I walk in the office on the first day and his partner, um, she looks at me and she said, Oh, you've never really worked in an office before. Have you? And I'm like, no. And so she goes, okay, we're going to help you out. And I'm like, okay, what does this mean? And they handed me a check for $300 and said, go buy yourself some clothes. Wow. Yeah. So I went and bought clothes. Um, so I could be more presentable working in an office because again, you don't know what you don't know. Mm -hmm. My grandfather was a mechanic and my grandmother was literally the school cafeteria lady. Like, Mm -hmm. so they don't, they're not in corporate America, but my mind was always set on, I'm going to work in corporate America and I'm going to be at the top. Like that was, that's what I knew. Right. I'm going to go to school. I'm going to be the first one in the family to go to school, get my degree, be in corporate America. Cause you know, that's like, what you know the that American was the next dream. level up right yeah, that was the next level up yeah Absolutely. so so they give me the three hundred dollars i go buy clothes um and within a week he sits me down and he says okay from now on i'm gonna call you latish and i'm like okay there's only one other person that calls me that and that's my mother but okay we'll see how this goes and he goes i am going to teach you accounting from the ground up Wow. Remember, I went to school to get typing skills. He taught me anything and everything I needed to know about accounting. Again, dating myself, accounting was on a green lined general ledger paper. We didn't have anything <laughs> We didn't have any systems. Like it was literally debits and credits on paper. <laughs> yeah. I learned the cards in college, but I didn't do it on those green lines. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you saw it on the computer screen where oh, it yeah. was a general ledger, but it was white, a white background with black letters <laughs> that said debit credit. Yeah, exactly. No, I was doing it on paper. Um, and he taught me accounting and I became like his bookkeeper. So cool. Yeah, I became his bookkeeper. And I was with him for about a year, year and a half. Again, still remember living in affordable housing. Um, and then I had left 
and I joined an organization called, um, oh my gosh, what was it called back then? The Urban League, I think is what mm. it was called. And I went there because I now needed a resume. Like I needed a real resume. So I went there and um, they helped me create a resume. They helped me hone my interviewing skills, polish myself, get better with my presentation and whatnot um, because they were, they were in the city. So they knew the importance of helping inner city people. And I don't, that sounds kind of weird, but helping those that, again, don't know what they don't know to be able to present themselves to those that may otherwise stereotype them as not being exactly. Good and so I went there for them to help me. And I'm like, I'm putting in the work I'm doing this. Like, because again, I want better for myself and I want better for my daughter. And that's not a dig on my mom because again, she did the best she could. She did. And so, but I just knew that I wanted better and there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. Absolutely. So I, got some skills, got another job. I don't even remember what the job was because Tom was the best boss ever. And then <laughs> he calls me one day, like a year later. And he said, I need you to come back and work for me. And I'm like, wait, what? And he said, I started a business with another partner. I need you to come back. And I'm like, okay, this, well, I have a job. And he goes, well, I don't care. Come back. <laughs> so I'm like, okay. So I go back and work for him. And his partner and I weren't kind of seeing eye to eye. And I'm just like, this isn't a good fit. Like when it was you and I, things were good. But with this new mm -hmm. thing coming into the mix, it's kind of weird. And it's when the internet started getting email inboxes. Oh, okay. Yeah. So we're now starting to shift to what's called email inboxes and the internet. Yeah. And so um, I ended up there staying on for about six months after that. Well, then I got a job offer for a really good job at a hospital. Wow. Amazing. And I moved out of the apartment that we were in for four years. Because you don't qualify anymore. Right? You make too much money now. No, right? I still qualified. Okay. And okay. their pivoting point came when I got this better job. And it's like, ooh, do I choose between housing or do I choose between a better opportunity to elevate? And I chose the job. And I remember the day I walked into the housing office and I said, I no longer need your assistance. And she looked at me and she's, she said, are you sure? And I said, absolutely. She goes, do you know what you're doing? I said, I absolutely know what I'm doing. I'm stepping outside of the box. That's I so have an opportunity cool. that I'm not going to turn down just to stay at a certain level. I need to go. Like, I got so many things that I need to do, and this is going to get me there. Wow. And I said, there's someone else that needs this more than I need it now. And I'm not going to stay on it just because it's there and available to me. That is so selfless. Oh my and, God, I, and I shut it off. And my mom was freaking out. What are you doing? Why would you do that? That's stability. Like, like you, you just snatched the rug out from under yourself. You know, she just, she went into full on scarcity mindset, right? Like, yeah. no, you can't do this. And I'm like, but I can, because I believe in myself because I had been putting in the work. I had been going to the urban league. I had been getting skills. I had been learning how to interview. My jobs were leveling up. My presentation of myself was leveling up. I was starting to go to college. Like I was continuing to level up, not only in my mindset, but in my education, just everything about me. And I just kept going and kept going and kept going. Let's go, LT. <laughs> I have to even paralyze you even more because like your own mom might not be believing in you at that point in time. Right? And how scary is that when your own parent doesn't, it's like doubting your choices. That can be so scary. So, Alti, so, so much respect, so much inspiration. Like, wow. Wow, Alti. I'm, I'm just, I'm just speechless. I'm so glad you came onto the show and, and shared that story. What, what are you doing now? Like, it seems like you conquered the world already. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I think, you know, I've always had it placed on the inside of me that I'm to be something great. And so I'm not done. 
I it's it's Let's it's go. not over. Like my goal is to be able to start investing in affordable housing myself. I mean, I put it out there last year. I put it out at the beginning of the year. You know, my mom is still on affordable housing. Mine too. Mine um, too. Yeah. And, you know, I just, I feel like that's her path. Right. But I'm in a better place um, in terms of being more financially stable and, you know, just, I kind of came out of that. And so now I want to give back. And I, I'm looking for, you know, some housing in Washington, the state of Washington around the Vancouver area, uh, just so I can be able to now provide my mom with a place to stay because she's been in some pretty sketchy places. Mm -hmm. And now, you know, where I'm at a place where I can provide maybe something for her, I want to be able to do that. So and I want to create affordable housing, even if she lived in it. To me, it's like. I know the importance of it. And I think that there's a stigma that gets placed on it that, oh, these people, and again, mm -hmm. please, I'm I'm not labeled, I'm, I'm one of those people, right? So what I'm saying is there's people that place the stereotype of, oh, these people, they just wanna live off of the system. Oh, mm -hmm. they just wanna take my tax dollars. Oh, they're not worthy. Oh, you know, think just, there's just so many layers that get placed upon people like that, but guess what? I'm one of those people. Yes. And that label doesn't stick. I am not your stereotype. So stop stereotyping. There is bad apples in every single. Yes. I can show yes. you a one percenter that is not doing right by people. That is not a good person that doesn't have a kind heart that doesn't love their family. And they're just out for themselves and they're greedy. These are hard working people that deserve it as much as the next person. And they're just trying. They're trying to survive this thing called life. They're trying to provide for their families. So don't take that away from them. Don't demean them and put them in a box. That's right. And LT May, this is a good time to ask this question. I've been trying to ask this question to everybody coming onto the podcast. It's like, why do you think affordable housing is so hard to solve for? Like if, if there's like one or two things that you think we should focus on this generation, like what might that be? And the reason like I was telling you before the show is like, I want to ask this question to everybody that comes onto the podcast, because yeah. even if you and I don't solve this in our generation, in our lifetime, we can just have these clips and we can just pass this on to the next generation. And my yeah. daughter can look at this and be like, wow, dad, dad met some amazing people in his life. And even though he didn't solve this problem, he gave us a head start so that we can continue solving for this problem because there's so many more people like LT, like my mom who came over and li lived on affordable housing, who needed just a stable home just because she didn't know English, but she knew how to work hard. Mm -hmm. And these are so many people like my mom, like yourself, LT. There are such hard workers that have so much grit that you can't really teach. And this is what most self-made people come from. They went through some crap. And they came out on the other side and they were way better. So I don't know. Do you have any thoughts? Like, what? why do you think affordable housing is so hard to solve for? Um, you know, I don't think there's enough care in the world. It starts mm. with someone caring and wanting to know. It starts with people wanting to get to know individuals on a molecular level, a micro level versus a macro and what I mean by that is I don't think there's enough people going into these communities yes. and talking to the people in these communities to find out what is it that they want? Great, Do, great question. What, what, you know, what, what are, like, like you said, when I was 15, I didn't really have a lot of resources, right? Um, so what are the resources? And I think you and I have had some conversations about this, and I think it's a wonderful idea. Like, like I said, there was an affordable housing unit I was in, and I walked literally outside of the complex, and there were lawyers, people, business owners, I mean, nurses, doctors, everything. And I think that being able to provide, for me, it's a hope, right? Like yes. we can do this, being able to provide more, and I don't want to call it mixed use, but being able to provide more 
opportunities and environments like that, because you are, you're a product of your environment. If you hang mm -hmm. around negative people, you're going to be negative. I mean, there's oh, yeah. just, there's no other choice, right? So having individuals that care enough to know what that looks like and being able to put it together to provide opportunities for others by making themselves selfless. Maybe it's not always about making a million dollars. Maybe it's about changing someone's mind. Yes. Maybe it's about you did something and you may not see the return today, but I, you know what? That person that gave me that opportunity 30 plus years ago, look at me now. Look at you now. Let's go, LT. Oh, and I, and I love that you brought up the words of hope and inspiration. I think that's what we really need. I think people that stigma is so hard to overcome sometimes because of how generalized these stereotypes can be. And this is why it's so important to share stories like yourself, LT, like you're just a good person, a great inspirational person that we need to get onto the podcast and show people like these, these are the type of people we're helping by the choices that we make and choosing where to invest and making a difference in kids' lives. So I cannot thank you enough, LT, for coming on here. I know that this is an episode I will make sure my daughter listens to when she <laughs> grows up, hands thank down. You. If there had to be one episode, like this would be it. Like there is no, there's not enough role models in this world. And I think listening to you, it's just, it was such a beautiful story. So I'm speechless. I'm so thankful you came onto the show today, LT. Do you have any last words for the audience that might be listening? Um, you know, I want to say thank you to you again, right? If you're on the fence about investing in affordable housing, you know what? Don't let, don't just let my story be the reason why, but there's a person on the other end of it. There are people that want out of that environment and it's just a stepping stone. So please reconsider if you're on mm -hmm. the fence about it or get involved and find ways to, to make it more available. I love that because people are going to listen to the story and I guarantee you now at least one person will be moved by the story and at least one person would change their mind to do this. Like we got live audience right now, just listening to your story and they're like, Oh my God, please don't tell LT. I love her. Like, there's so <laughs> much love for you. LT. This is, this is who you are. And if we never had affordable housing, we would have never gotten to meet the beautiful person that you are and listen to your inspirational story. So thank you again, LT, for coming on. I can't wait to have you come back on next time. Maybe we'll talk about your next affordable housing investments. Yes. And that will make the story come full circle. Or we'll talk about our beautiful. project we're doing together. How about that? Let's go. I love, love that. <laughs> All right. Thank you, LT. Thank you, everyone, for listening. I appreciate it. Thank you, Kent. Appreciate you.